for all that you have done for us. We pray that as we gather together, you would teach us to love one another, to love our neighbors as ourselves, and in doing so, that we would learn to love you all the more. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Every time that we gather together to break the bread of Christ and to drink the wine of his blood, the priest recites the following words. Here. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Have you ever paused to ask what it looks like to love your why these two commandments hang upon one another. St. John the Evangelist enlightens us as to why it is so critical to love both our neighbor and our God when he writes his first epistle. Throughout this short and beautiful epistle, the central theme is loving your brother, loving those who are near to you. Repeat again and again as he writes, but the crux of his argument comes down to this. Anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, who has seen, who he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. For he who does not love his brother, who he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, our neighbors, you and I, every single human being whom you will experience in your lifetime bears the image of God. Though it is tarnished and damaged by sin, it still remains in him or her. Each person we meet and interact with throughout our lives points our hearts and minds back to God point our hearts and minds back to our Creator. And if we cannot or do not love those whom we interact with day in and out, those whom we walk and talk with, then how can we say that we love God? This is what Christ pushes us towards today. This is our call as Christians. This is what we are reminded of week in and week out. This is the basic prerogative that we are given, the basic calling that commits us to repentance and to pray that the Holy Spirit would pull us into a deeper intimacy with Christ, that we would learn to love our neighbor all the better. Perhaps you're wondering with the lawyer this morning, who is my neighbor? It is interesting as we read this passage how the lawyer responds and the text comments on his motives. He, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? And this gives us a key to understanding 
the rest of the text. But not only that, gives us the key to understanding our own hearts. So often we wish to justify ourselves. Justify not caring for someone. Justify the sins which we find ourselves in. But Jesus leaves little room for this. And in doing this, he reorients us to a bit, um, reorients us to understand that basically each and every person we interact with is our neighbor, the grocery clerk, the bank teller, the gal at the coffee shop, the homeless person on the street corner, the ambivalent coffee, customer service agent, our overly talkative neighbor, or our reclusive neighbor. And that list goes on and on. All of these, each and every person is our neighbor. Our neighbors are more than simply those who live in close proximity to us. Rather, the question which we are called to ask ourselves each and every day is how shall I be intentional with my interactions with anyone whom I meet today? How shall I love them well? And how do we love our neighbors? The text reveals at least three things that genuine love of neighbor requires of us. First, it requires that we cross boundaries. Second, it requires risk. And third, it requires that we be willing to be inconvenient for the sake of our neighbors. Now one commentator warns not to over villainize the priests and the Levites. It is easy to use them as caricatures of what not to do. It is easy to make them look terrible and make us feel better about ourselves. But if we do this, we miss the point. For each of these three callings which we mentioned, the priests and the Levites fail to perform them, while the Samaritan fulfills them well. For each of these three callings, it is likely that we have both failed at times and succeeded at times. And for this reason, our failures in it, when we hear the summary of the law, the call to love God and our neighbor, it is sufficient to search our hearts, to call us to repentance, and drive us back to Christ again and again. Now let us take a closer look at what it means to be a good neighbor. First, we must be willing to cross boundaries. The priest and the Levite lived in a relatively homogenous society. Most of their neighbors would have been a lot like them, would have thought like them, but ceremonial cleanliness would have been the, of the utmost importance to everyone. And if the beaten man was in fact dead, touching him would have made them unclean. And to cross this boundary, this Levitical rule, it would have meant that they would have been unable to perform their priestly duties, would have been unable to be a part of their communities until ceremonial cleanliness was restored. And this for them was no small thing. We do not know exactly where either of these men were going, but perhaps the priest was headed up to the temple to serve. And being made unclean would have made him uneligible to do this. And the crowd, or at least the lawyer, would have sympathized with him for this. But Christ calls us to cross boundaries. Whatever the cost, the Samaritan 
foreigner in a faraway country. He was undoubtedly there on some business, but he would have been hated by all who saw him. He would have been scorned by the locals. Have you ever been an outsider? By the grace of God, I can only think of a couple times where this has happened, where I felt completely alone. But I think that we all can understand and empathize what it means to be alone in a crowd, and the courage that it takes to go someplace where you know no one, where you might be looked upon as being odd or feel outside. The Samaritan would have been feeling these feelings of being the stranger as well, but they would have been amplified, for he was an outsider and an enemy of the people. He would have been scorned by scorned in Jerusalem, and yet he stopped to help the dying man on the side of the road. He crossed the boundary and was willing to be all the more ostracized. Think back to the last person that needed your help. Did you cross the road and help them out? justify yourself? Were you willing to cross some unspoken boundary to help this person out? Did you, or did you use those boundaries to justify not helping them? Helping the beaten, beaten, beaten man required risk. I really enjoy dystopian movies. Most of the time they're one of these movies, there's a scene where a girl stops and helps a woman lying injured on the side of the road. But the woman starts to plead with her not to stop, and the girl is confused by this. And suddenly, we realize why the pleading occurred. Up popped some bandits. It was a trap, but fortunately, the girl's friend came to her rescue. By the grace of God, we live in a time and age where we can travel fairly safely and needn't worry too much about bandits. But this was not the case in Jesus' life. Undoubtedly, a part of the fear of the priests and the Levites was probably this, and probably even the Samaritans, that it was a trap. The body was simply left there by bandits to lure an unsuspecting traveler to let his guard down. to know that it was a dangerous man. The parable starts with one of them being nearly to death. But we have the privilege of knowing about this road between Jerusalem and Jericho, knowing that it was extremely dangerous to travel. The hearers of this parable would have known this as well. And the road still exists today, or at least a road that was like it. If you want to imagine it, Imagine a road similar to that between Sunset Point and Black Canyon. Steep, narrow for the type of traveler that, travel that passed through, and winding. 2,000 years ago, it would have presented the bandits an easy place to lie in wait. For the hearers of, of this in Jesus' time, it would have taken little imagination to see all that he was describing as it occurred. Suffice to say, the road was notorious for its danger. 
So again, it was not it was not unreasonable for the priests and the Levites to consider stopping to be far too dangerous, and therefore they stayed as far away from the body as possible. But the Samaritan stops. The Samaritan takes the risk for a complete stranger and is willing to help him out. So this is the question. Are you willing to risk your own life for a stranger? Are you willing to take a risk of being hurt? If I am honest, and perhaps if you are as well, we tend not to be as good of a neighbor because we think, perhaps because we think that we might be let, let down, afraid of letting them down, or afraid of being hurt. And if we stand off at a distance, this will never happen. If we are emotionally and spiritually cold, we will never feel pain. But this is not the gospel call. C.S. Lewis writes in his great book, The Four Loves, that to love at all is to be vulnerable. To love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irresistible. To love to love your spouse, your, who is your closest neighbor, to love your next-door neighbor, your friends, or even the bank teller, to truly care for anyone requires that you take a risk. It requires that you be willing to be hurt or even crushed. Are you willing to be hurt for another? Being a good neighbor, loving our neighbor, requires inconvenience. It is no secret that busyness is a virtue of our time. The more bedraggled you present yourself as, the more hurried and rushed that you seem, the harder you must be working, and the more virtuous who have reached the end of their lives and barely know their children. Too many people that didn't have time for their friends and their spouses. Too many people that filled their time with busyness so that they did not have to risk to love well. Therefore, they lost their love. Busyness is our virtue, and therefore we know how inconvenient being a good neighbor can be. We justify ourselves saying, well, friend, I just don't have time right now. I'm sorry. For the priests and the Levites, they seemed to have some place to be. They saw the man on the side of the road lying in pain, perhaps dead, and they hurried on. Undoubtedly, they'd already worked hard to justify with the risk of being unclean and stained face. It was an easy, it was an easy choice to keep going, to not think too hard about the man that 
we can do the same thing. We find our excuses, reasons not to stop, not to listen, not to call our friends whom we know who are in pain. And I say this as one who has failed to love in difficult
And so, my friends, 